Welcome to Boston's Best, a podcast where you go behind the scenes with financial planner Mark Condon as he asks industry-leading experts in and around Boston to talk about their businesses. Mark will find out what sets these companies apart from their competition and how they have risen above the inevitable challenges they have faced along the way to their ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Mark Condon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode 40 of Boston's Best. The goal of this podcast is to highlight businesses in and around Boston. My guest on today's podcast is Keith Sullivan. Keith is the co-owner of Medusa Brewing Company in Hudson. They opened in March of 2015 as one of the first breweries in Massachusetts with a tap room, and they've been growing like crazy since then. Keith tells us the story of how Medusa came about. A buddy of his, also named Keith, was big into home brewing, and they talked about opening their own brewery. When Keith had enough of his IT job, they put the plan into action. One night at the Rail Trail Flatbread Company in Hudson with their other partner, Tom, they took a drive down Main Street and noticed the building they're currently in was available. They couldn't believe they could have a location on such a main road, so they decided to talk to the landlord and go for it. In this episode, Keith talks in depth about the major sweat equity that was poured into opening Medusa, the many setbacks they had when it came to the contracting and financing aspects of opening a business. Everything inside of Medusa was pretty much put together by themselves, not contractors. One of their wives painted every inch inside of the location as well. So much hard work was put into it, and the proud moment came when opening weekend proved it all worth it. And be sure to listen to the end as Keith shares what he sees for the future of Medusa Brewing Company, what he'd tell his 18-year-old self, and how he defines success in any given year. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boston's Best. Good morning. This week, we have Keith Sullivan. Keith is the co-owner of Medusa Brewing Company in Hudson. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you, Mark? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. Fantastic. Thanks. Excited to have you guys on the podcast. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, like I said, I was there for the first time, uh, admittedly, two weeks ago for my birthday. Had, had a few flights, and it was, it was a phenomenal time. So and the food was good, too, which was key, I think. I think breweries have started to up their, their food game inside so you mu- you must have come by shortly after we reopened the tap room then yeah it was sunday march 14th is when i came by yeah i think february or late february is when we had just reopened the doors again oh um, okay yeah okay, we took yeah. january most of january off after uh closing down our winter beer garden and then um made some improvements and we're happy to see people back in there so thanks for coming out yeah, of course. I, I've driven by it a couple of times and never had the time to stop in. So for my birthday, my wife, we had scheduled like a little brewery tour. So popped around, did uh, did a few breweries and you guys were the first ones that we went to. So it was awesome. Good, yeah. Where else did you guys go? So we, we went to the Lost Shoe Brew in Marlboro. And then we went to um, Exhibit A because I live in Framingham. So you were the furthest one for me. So we started off there and then we went to Marlboro and then came back to Framingham where and ended where we live. So it was a, it was nice. a solid, it was a solid afternoon. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast. Again, thanks for coming on. You know, before we get into Medusa itself, tell us a little bit about yourself. Did you grow up around here? I grew up in Shrewsbury and uh, went to Shrewsbury High. Moved to Boston for a little while uh, to do school, and then headed back to live in Worcester. And I've been here ever since. Nice. So uh, I went to school for um, IT. Okay. Or com- computer science. And uh, my career found me working at a bank and then doing technology at the bank. And then I wound up over the next 10 years working my way up in the security industry, I suppose you could call it. Okay. 
So how did that transition happen? How did we go from security yeah. and IT in a bank to uh, owning a brewery or co-owning a brewery? Well, I, one, of, one of my stops along the way, I, I wound up uh, working with another guy named Keith. And uh, we were on the road a lot together, you know, traveling, installing these uh, systems and um, training up uh, people in the in law enforcement, the court systems on the technology that we sold. And um, he and I spent a lot of time in the car and he was a brewer. So he got me into it. And a lot of our trips were designed around breweries, of course. Yeah. So we we spent a lot of time discussing, is this something that we could take somewhere? And it was right around when you started seeing that turn, you know, the 90s brew pub scene was dead. It was, I would say, late 2000s. So like 2000, no, it must have been 2010, 11. We started talking about it. Um, but at that time, you could only open a brew pub. You, there was no such thing as a farmer brewer. We, you know, we, we, we got on the topic of it and for the next few years, just kind of a, not obsessed over it, but just thought about the idea of putting together some sort of beer adventure. I've always wanted to, to try my own business okay, and um, for no other, for no particular reason, other than just, I like creating things. Yeah. So we went our separate ways. I started a new job, worked a lot more in Boston. And during that time, not a lot of people know about it, but what's in the industry known as the famous uh I think it's called the snowplow bill, um, which was, yeah, it was a bill that got pushed through and I could have the dates wrong, but it got pushed through in the late morning, early morning hours during a session on, on um, Beacon Hill to raise the budget of um, Boston snowplowing funds because it was one of the worst winters we had had in a long time. And I think this was around 2011. Okay. And the reason why it got pushed through was a very smart man who owns Harpoon Brewery yeah. uh, wanted to open up a killer tap room in the Seaport District. Yeah, yeah. But in order to do that, he needed to have the ability to have a pouring permit oh, and okay. not have his staff getting one day, you know, permits every every couple of weeks to skirt the system. Right. So they put this this legislature in there right at the last minute. The copy and pasted the rules for a winery, changed it to a brewery, and that literally changed the entire landscape of the Massachusetts brewing scene. There was no such thing as a tap room. There was no such thing as, you know, all you could do at that point was walk into a brewery. And if you're lucky, they had a tap set up at the entrance to the manufacturing plant. You get some tasters. Oh. You know, I remember going, going to Wachusett and having some tasters and Harpoon and Sam Adams. You get little tasters here and there, but you couldn't yeah. sit down and order a beer. I didn't know that. So, yeah. So Dan Canary, the founder of Harpoon Brewery, made this happen for us. So that happened. And I got back in touch with this guy, Keith, that we were obsessing about breweries. Actually, he got in touch with me and he said, did you hear about this farmer brewer license that allows pouring permits? And I said, no, what does it mean? And he said, well, we can now serve full pints. And that was sort of the thing. I wanted to run a craft beer bar. He wanted to operate a brewery. Okay. And now he said, we can put the two together. Got it. So we started talking more. We started coming up with a plan uh, and then quickly started realizing we needed to be at least penny, if not multimillionaires to do this <laughs> the right way, which we were a lot far cry from there. So we, we just kept researching the topic and then realized, you know, probably need to get some money into this, some investors. We don't have it. Um, there's really no programs out there for this yeah. at the time. I moved on to a different job that was even more into the security industry, tailored suits and Italian shoes, trade shows and late nights in Vegas, stuff like that. And I just had it with that whole thing. And I said, this is it. I, I can't do it anymore. We went 
high speed, started looking at places and knew that the money would come together, which it would not have, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's, that's when the third partner came into play, Tom Sutter, who has uh, had a lot, much longer career than us and has a lot of experience in just uh, business analysis, not like an analyst position, but researching and, and, and vetting out companies for acquisition. So going through books, knowing pro forma, knowing projections, understanding financials far deeper than you'd get through a crash course at a, you know, a business school or something. And uh, he had traveled the world in the uh, chemical industry and uh, was at that time an executive and had been to pretty much every Belgian beer bar in Brussels and had had been all over Germany, Japan, everywhere. And um, so we got to know him through one of our favorite places in Worcester, Armsby Abbey. Tom, he basically said, I want to open a brewery and if you two want to do it, maybe we, we're a good trio. Right. So those conversations developed and soon enough, he was able to help us put together a, a business plan, some financials that made sense. And that once that was done, we were able to go out and, and talk to friends, family, get some some cash put together. And here we are six years, six years later. Wow. So, that was my next question. When did you open? So is that 2015? Exactly. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're, we had signs up that said coming this summer in 2014, but that certainly didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you go cold turkey? Like, did you just straight up leave the the banking job to to do this? Or were you still doing that a little bit part time while you open up Medusa? I worked for a, like a, a technology company in uh, California from here for a year or two while we did this. And um, Got it. I, I don't know, there was some point where I was just anxiety through the roof. I was blacking out. Um, I just, yeah, it was, it was killing me. We had just started a family. It was like house, family, marriage, business, all within like a three, four year period and kids. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the first one to go was Keith, my partner. We, we just were not able to keep up with the brewing. So he had to go. So that put stress on the business right away, paying him full time. And then I didn't know what to do. Um, but we, we, I basically came on and had to increase our sales to, support myself and yeah. and we did that yeah so yeah i kind of i kind of stuck it out longer than i should have for myself but yeah, we were kind of in like a we were in the honeymoon phase of the business and didn't know you know we weren't sure how stressed it could be yeah. uh, financially with people coming on as salaried um so but we made the right moves and the right decisions at the right time so i'm, yeah. I'm thankful for that and it was all just a roll of the dice yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what it is though. Like it's a hard it's a balancing act, you know? Like it's hard to go cold turkey and just have a zero salary job and and just open up your own business. It's it's a balancing act, so I totally get it. Yeah. So you guys land in Hudson. Was that just a location that you found? Was that in between the three of the where where the three of you lived and how'd you come up with the name Medusa? We yeah, that's a good question. We um when I was uh working with my other partner Keith more often, uh we were we were both living in Worcester and we were working up in Chelmsford. So we would go through the Hudson area all the time on 495 to get up there. Yeah. And uh, he introduced me to this place called the Horseshoe Pub, which at the time was sort of a, you know, a craft beer haven before that was even a thing. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you've ever done the 495 grind, but there are some times where it's just, you know, it could be a 45 minute ride from Worcester or it could be an hour and a half or two hours. Yeah. Um, Anyone doing 495, 128, 90, you know that, 95. Yeah. So anyways, um, we would occasionally, he would int- he introduced me to this little scene in Hudson, people just popping off the highway or locals getting together at the, this awesome horseshoe bar called the Horseshoe Pub. 
And that's when I really started getting into craft beer was at that spot. And uh, coincidentally, I had some friends from my last job who would go there and I ended up meeting up with them. So it kind of started the craft beer thing for me in Hudson. And um, when we fast forward a few years later, when we were meeting with uh, this third partner, Tom, uh, we met at a new restaurant in Hudson called The Rail Trail. It had just yeah. opened. We wanted to check it out. Um, and we met there without any any notion to open a brewery in Hudson. We were just getting together to meet each other. And yeah. uh, I think one of us had just said, well, why not this town? Yeah. We said, oh, I mean, we were looking at Marlboro because it was sort of in between. We were looking at uh, Worcester. Uh, in fact, we had, we had looked at the space that Wormtown's in now. <laughs> oh, no way. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then we decided to take a walk down the street in Hudson and saw this great storefront right on Main Street. We're like, wow, could we like operate a little taproom on Main Street, like a restaurant? Like Main Road. That was our whole, yeah, that was kind of our business plan was to take advantage of an area with lots of takeout to do the bring your own food thing. We had seen that a lot in other parts of the country when we traveled, yeah. uh, like Colorado, lots of those breweries. Um, did the bring your own food thing. So that was sort of our, the premise for our beer garden, our beer garden, our tap room. So we saw this space, we got in touch with the landlord and it had just, it was the whole rear half of the building was sitting on slab. So there was no structural engineering that had to happen to put the brewery in, no floor reinforcement. And it, it kind of just came together, it just made it, made it much more possible. Granted, it was nearly po- impossible to open the place, um, but mm-hmm. we did, we did get it done. Yeah. How so? Uh, it just ran out of money a bunch of times, yeah. um, wound up doing most of the hard labor ourselves. So like I said, around the time starting a family, buying a house, I, I was away a lot, which sucked. You know, building the bar, I built the bar. Tom and a lot of his friends built so much of that space themselves, uh, the tables, the brewery itself. My partner's wife, Lisa, painted every inch of it. I mean, we 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 slaved over that place for a long time. And I think there were many situations where we were at 930 at night looking at each other with just empty souls <laughs> saying, we're not like, we're never going to get open. Yeah. But let's yeah. just let's just find something to do. Screw that in. But we, it finally came. Yeah. We did, we did get, get it opened and we went with the name Medusa. Well, for one, because it wasn't taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I think when we opened, you know, it's funny when we opened Medusa or when we started pitching a plan in 2013, there were 45 breweries in Massachusetts and there was not a single tap room except for the about to open harpoon. And then I think shortly, a few months before we opened, the boys from night shift yeah. opened a super small mini tap room at their old, old, old location. I forget, was it in Malden or was, I can't remember it was, it was the first spot before they were in Everett. Yeah. So I think they opened this tap room with full pores, which was this crazy concept, yeah. you know, outside of Harpoon. And then we opened ours. Um, so it was kind of cool. And now you've got 200 plus breweries and more than half of those have full pores. It's wild. Yeah, it's wild. But yeah, Medusa was, um, it kind of encapsulated not necessarily the story of Medusa, but the name encapsulated the sort of our theory on beer and philosophy. And by that, I mean, she was this beautiful Gorgon sister that was the most beautiful. And I don't know how much the story, you know, but the, the short of it is she winds up being cursed because her beauty was so great and, and cursed in the opposite direction to be so grotesque that you couldn't even lay your eyes upon her without turning to stone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, and when, when I talked with Keith about opening a brewery and was drinking his home brew, 
there was no question that this guy was talented and could brew every beer on the spectrum. So he wasn't like an IPA only brewer. Okay. He was doing everything from when I met him, it was Scottish export beers to IPAs, to stouts, to coffee porters. And he would have these parties in Worcester with like 11 beers on tap. Yeah. Like the, the who's who of the whole Worcester craft beer and restaurant scene would be there. So like even these people were tapped into him as a home brewer. So Medusa's spectrum of life kind of encapsulated you know the mystery and the the selection from you know effervescent beautiful light beers um like belgian blondes and grisettes all the way to the dark you know imperial stouts that pour like motor oil and are 10 percent. so uh, we figured her name and the mystery around that kind of helped explain our story in a way it also it's it's just a great name. It's a great brand, and we've we're still learning it. We're still playing with it all the time. I just it's the opportunities are great with it. So, yeah. now we did say if we we are Medusa, we'll never ever name a beer after a Greek story. We just we're like a bunch of Irish Irish and you know we're a bunch of immigrant people like everyone else in this country. But yeah. <laughs> none of us none of us are Greek. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So nice man. So obviously, a ton of challenges when you started the business. Are, what are some of the early successes that you guys celebrated once you were able to to get it open? And like, what was that moment where you knew that you had something with Medusa that it was going to be that it was a good decision to to go forward? I mean, the whole construction build out period was slow, painful, physically and emotionally, yeah, hopeless at, at a lot of times. And 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 like I said, keywords slow, yeah. And and the thing that really hit me was. We opened up on a Friday, I think it was March 5th, to friends, family, investors, whatever. And it was really cool to be in that room and see the space we created lit up, beer flowing out of the taps. Finally, people cheersing and enjoying it. It felt like really this whole group of people came together to build this thing because it took a village, literally, of emotional support, financial support, just everything. And uh, I thought that was what we did that night. I came home saying, I can't believe we did that. And I had, was bartending the whole night at a nice pace, yeah. you know, pouring beer is not too hard. Once you get the hang of it, you know, <laughs> any idiot like me can do it. You know, we had like five or six employees that we had hired. Yeah. We had some, had a bunch of beers. My wife drove me back. It was great. And I remember lying in bed that night going, we gotta do this again tomorrow. And it's not friends and family. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that would, and I, I remember so what I'm getting up to is I remember lying in bed thinking, this was cool. This was so fun. It was so special. And I, I can't wait to do this every day. So fast forward, we're opening the next morning and uh, I get in around nine, eight, eight thirty nine for our, I don't know what it was, 12, one o'clock opening. Yeah. And there's a line of people down the street. At so I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, I think it was like nine or 10 in the morning. Yeah. It wow. started lining up. Um, and I was like, oh shoot. So I walked in and then I just, I, I lost it. I'm like, <laughs> what, what do we do? What do we do? And they're like, Sully. Stick to the plan. Remember, you made that opening checklist. Let's get this done. The beer's yeah. pouring. This is done. You know, we've got cash in the drawer. Like we went through everything, and 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 then something broke. Something else broke, and it started getting really anxious. And then it was ten minutes late, and the, the line was longer. And then finally, we opened the doors. And Mark, from that point until I went home Sunday, because we co- we were closed Monday through Wednesday when we first opened. But that's that was a Saturday. Okay. And I had never moved so fast and constantly in my entire life, like just pouring, handing, pouring, handing, pouring, handing POS. Did I remember to do that beer? I don't know. You know, ring stuff, just absolute, absolute franticness, like getting thrown on a football field, 
without even having looked at the playbook, like no, not like not knowing anything about this team and just absolutely getting shit handed to you. Yeah. People yelling at you, people Uh, trying to get your attention every five seconds. It was like a Boston nightclub being run by a bunch of people who had never been behind a bar. Yeah. And so I went home that night with my heart racing, couldn't sleep. I wasn't scared. I was just like, oh my gosh, this was absolutely nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Next day, same thing. And then uh, finally, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I was able to come down a little bit, rethink things. Next weekend, same thing, just absolute nuts. And long story short, that's when I realized what we had created. Like, because remember, when we opened this, we were one of the only like tap rooms around. It was Harpoon, Night Shift, us, I think Exhibit A. No, Jack's Abbey had just Abbey. opened up a little mini tap room in that spot that Exhibit A is in now. Right, yep. Uh, so there wasn't a lot going on, and this thing had been coming forever, this Medusa thing. And looking back on it now, it's so funny because when I think about how incredibly intense that period was of just bartending and late nights, and the team we have now could do that with two people. <laughs> 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 they're so they're so good and so efficient and so on point and yeah. like it's it's hilarious to me yeah so it's a combination of just being completely utterly clueless and it, you know it was it was a cool time but that's when i realized holy shit we, yeah. we created this yeah like we we did this and then the nights you know within a few months came later where i'd be sitting down with tom my business partner and keith on a night that night with our family in there and the place was packed and you'd look around and be like, I can't believe we made this thing. That's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So, yeah. And it's, it's got, it got bigger and bigger and bigger for four or five years until obviously COVID hit. And, yeah. But you know, it was, we're still got plenty to build on. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. That's a cool story. Cause uh, that's how it is when you start a business. Like you don't, you don't know what you don't know. So when you open it, oh you just God. like run around like a chicken with his head cut off and they, Oh shit. Like, okay, we got to do this. You got, now, now you get a team. You said you could do it with two people just because now you know, yeah. you know, like you just yeah. didn't know anything then. So, yeah. And like that it, it, the weird, I think the, the thing that was the most dramatic was that sh- instantaneous flick of a switch where you go from this slow, hopeless, completely physically degrading construction and financing and yeah. horrible, just dark period for so long. And then instantly it's the opposite. Yeah. And it's a completely different thing. It's like, whoa, we, we gotta, we gotta like think fast here. Like yeah. this is, it was such a dramatic difference. It was crazy. Did, how do you, how do you, the other Keith and Tom kind of balance each other out? Do you guys all have different strengths that, uh, and weaknesses that yeah we we each have our own lane and it's never changed um perfect so keith yeah keith makes the beer i sell the beer and tom pays the bills okay nice so that that's basically how it works more in a more detailed response keith is responsible i mean he's keith orders all the ingredients he keeps yeah. the brewery running we have two other brewers now that are our lead yeah. brewers keith works with our contract partner jack Sabby, to brew our large-scale beers Okay. I'm in charge of marketing, branding, our sales directors under me, um, the front of houses under me, all the graphic design and stuff, web I do. And Tom does all the numbers, all the maintenance, all the anything that requires engineering or critical thinking. He is the like the very reasonable, fiscally responsible, you know, thumb on the books guy. And it, it's just been integral to have the three of us 
in those lanes, I guess, if you will. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, kind of like <laughs> Patriots, like do your job, right? Like just, that's exactly like, what it is. And, and that's like, you know, with my team and like my full-time job, like we all stick in our lanes. We all have certain things that we do really well. And just obviously like we dabble a little bit, but for the most part, it's like 95% of what I do is exactly what I do all the time. Cause like, yeah, just hire the people around you that are really good at what they do and just let them do their thing. Because if you're, if you're trying to do 10 different things, you can allocate 10% towards everything, right? Like you got to just be able to allocate like everything you can to like one specific thing. And things are just going to work out when you build those pieces around you, you know? Yep. So yeah, that's, that, that's true. Very uh, true. How many different beers do you guys typically have available on any given day? Right now we're, we're in a odd period, but, um, Right before COVID, it was very regularly for at least a year or two where we'd have 16 to 20 beers on tap. We'd probably have something special on cask, you know, hand pull, pump, cask pump, something infused, and then we'd have stuff in cans. So, I mean, just before COVID hit, you'd have 20 plus options when you went in there, which is absolutely awesome. Yeah. Since uh, we've returned to business from COVID, um, we're struggling to find a good balance between the retail demand for cans mm-hmm. and our setup at Medusa not being designed for the packaging rate that we had to keep up with. Uh, so you will see more can pours now than drafts, not quantity-wise, but more than before. Yeah. But we are slowly starting to restore the draft list that we, we want to see. So right now, uh, I know going into this weekend, you probably have six or seven options on draft and then another five or six in cans. So more than 10 beers for sure. So it's it's not what we want, but we're doing everything we can to get yeah. get back to where we want to be comfortably. Yeah. So it's just, I, mean, I feel like that's with a lot of industries right now, you're just slowly getting back into the swing of things. I feel like maybe I'm hopeful, but I feel like this late spring, early summer, hopefully we're going to be pretty pretty close to as whatever normal is, I guess. Yeah. But uh, it's good to see, you know, do you have a favorite style of beer or a go-to at Medusa itself? I think the, my favorite beer that we do, I mean, I love them all. Of course. I really love, um, every, every, we don't do it a lot, but every year we do a, uh, Helter Keller, like a German pills and Siegfried, which is our Kolsch. And I don't know which one I like more, but it's probably because they're limited. Keith only brews the Kolsch once a year and the other beer maybe twice. And they're fantastic. We do a Czech Pilsner called Dukovny that is right up there with my favorites. And I, I just, I, I've really taken a, taken a liking to clean beer, like real clean, crisp, carefully constructed Pilsners. And, but at the same time, I, I love our IPAs. Yeah. Laser Cat, I think Laser Cat, although it is our biggest, most popular flagship, if you will, beer, I am always surprised by how much I like that beer when I have one. Yeah. So, yeah, I might be a Laser Cat guy. Yeah. I, I had- that is one of the ones that I had. I, I I like the name too. So I was like, yeah, it sounds pretty good. So I tried it. Yeah. So and it's, we, that beer has a funny story. We it's, it started off as a joke and then just people loved it. And it really seemed to grab that the customer that wasn't like looking for old school West, West coast IPA that was, you know, tongue twisting, eye crossingly bitter, <laughs> Yeah, but also didn't really enjoy slugging down the juice bombs. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like, it's 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 got a little bit of haze to it and it's but it's not a west coast ipa and it's definitely not a new england ipa yeah so it's kind of like right in the middle there and we almost it almost reminds me of the super old 
early, early heady topper. Like okay. that was coming out of the pub before Irene wiped out all of downtown Stowe, Vermont. Was it Stowe? I think so. It was, uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that with the, you know, the huge aromatic hoppy nose, but that sort of almost caramely, like thicker body. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I love that beer. <laughs> nice. Nice. So you're in charge of almost everything marketing. What have you found to be a good use of marketing? And what have you found to be like a not so good use of marketing? We're, we've learned a lot about marketing in the last year or two. And that's not because of COVID, but because of growth. We signed with a new distributor just before COVID hit and they've been selling our beer like crazy. Uh, we had to move, we had to move out of Medusa to Jack's Abbey, which wow. is awesome that those guys brought us, they brought us on and we, we needed to. Otherwise, the only thing we could brew would be Laser Cat. We wouldn't be able to brew enough. So we wanted to preserve that taproom feel and allow our brewers there to you know, experiment, come out with different styles, uh, can the specialty stuff, but we had to get laser cat out of there. Yeah. Um, it was just, we still brew laser cat draft. Um, so when you, when you drink laser cat at Medusa, it is the Hudson cat, but we have worked so closely with the team at Jack's to make it identical, if you will, going that scale has, and then going statewide, breaking into Rhode Island and we're starting New York soon has really shed light on the fact that keeping things simple and clean are really essential to good marketing. I think that um, a lot of times the messages can be convoluted in terms of what you're trying to to sell or illustrate what you're doing. And I know that social media has played a massive, if not the largest role in in that. You know, if you look at how companies used to market Coca-Cola back in the 30s and 40s and, and how things are marketed today, it's the same but not. And so we with social media, I find I feel like a lot of small businesses, you can do so much. Oh yeah. And it winds up kind of the message kind of winds up getting lost because you're constantly comparing yourself to the feed. Yeah. You know, the the, the yeah. feed. Oh our brewery should should do this because they did that and look how many likes they got it's the same thing that people do personally uh -huh. yeah oh they took that baby picture so we need to go take <laughs> that baby picture or you know you know like look, look at that you know rustic you know credenza they got we need like yeah. it, you're constantly trying to compare and do and it's like you lose your identity yeah. your authenticity and and i'm guilty of it a hundred percent so going this big and then having what i'm getting at is having our distributor and their, you know, 30, 40 people who have to sell your beer. If you go in there like that with them, they're like, who is this guy? What do they, what did they just say? Yeah. Eh, you know, this other beer is easier to sell. So if you keep things simple and authentic and straightforward, it makes it a lot easier to get the message across. And the point is to sell beer and get our beer to our, our consumer. So um, that was probably the biggest thing we've learned. So we, through this process, we've simplified and we've focused on a core lineup of beer, which is something that when I was getting into this business was like this archaic phrase, core lineup. What's your flagship? Ugh. We're a new, we're, we're a bunch of, we're a young new craft brewery. We don't do flagships. Beer's different every week. Yeah. Like, like the more hops, the better, the more haze, the better, like this, that. And it, it, that was cool for a while. But what we found is, although consumers love that, they can easily do that because there's so many breweries, yeah. but the the liquor stores and the bars and the salespeople that are trying to sell your beer for you, they're yeah. like, you guys look like everybody else. What do you do? 
Right. Okay. You do you do a hazy IPA. There's nine thousand of them. Yeah. What's different about yours? Why is it different? What's yeah. the story behind it? You don't have a story behind it. Don't sell it. <laughs> sell the tap room because it will sell. Um, so we've had to really figure out what we do and how we do it. So we you know we had to we we worked on putting together a core lineup. Nice. And it's working because the stores are like, oh, I want that beer in here every week, and I don't have to change the skew. I don't have to change right. the labels everywhere. The restaurants can print their menu that I have to reprint every week, you know, it, and, and our beer is still just as good, if not better. Yeah. So awesome. that we've been simplifying, consolidating and focusing on that side of the business and then allowing the tap room to go crazy and do whatever we want, which is right. awesome. Yeah, no, that's cool. Which is, and I think that's the fun experience of going to a brewery because if you could get all of our beers in the store, why would you come to us? Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, tap rooms, I don't know. They're just like the cool, like, sunday thing to do now you know like we have a thing to do like i like i said for my birthday like we we went to three of them like it's just it's just fun and every brewery like everything tastes different and there's so many different flavors that you can try so hitting up three of them and doing like a couple flights in each spot is a lot um it was definitely definitely hit me later in that night but uh you know it's yeah it's a fun it's a fun thing to do it's just a cool outing to do like i've got my wife into it like she she surprisingly she got into stouts yeah like, i love stouts i'm a big uh, i'm a big stout guy like higher abv the better and she started having them and she's like wow this it's not that bad i was like, she was like yeah, yeah. So, like, even i've gotten her into it so now it's like cool for me i get to get my wife to come, like look forward to going to a brewery and just like hanging out for a few hours you know sunday um, church yeah exactly <laughs> exactly no, it's been taught we, we we've had bible groups in our in our tap room believe it or not but at the same time like a lot of our we we've seen so many friends be made. Yeah. Like literally families sitting next to each other who don't know each other, but their kids are this similar age. So they yeah. start talking yeah. and then they wind up running into each other again. And then now they're this huge like brewery unit that goes, it's yeah, it's cool. It's cool, man. Great. Create some sort of little community. It's pretty cool. And the, and the fact that we're in Massachusetts with all these breweries is just, it's awesome. Yeah. There's so many breweries. It's, it's so many to choose from. Speaking of communities, so, I mean, let's chat. We don't have to spend a ton of time on COVID, but obviously it impacted certain industries way more than others. Breweries, restaurants being two of the most impacted. Don't need to go into the details of how much it impacted you guys, but how have you, have you pivoted at all due to COVID? I mean, you guys weathered the storm, so that's good. And Matt, you know, you got through 2020. I feel like 2021 hopefully should be a pretty good year for a lot of people. Have you guys pivoted in any way due to COVID itself? And like, how has the community been supporting you guys and support local businesses? Yeah, we've pivoted four or five times and we've seen an amazing, incredibly unexpected, but humbled response from our, or we're humbled by the response from our community, I should say. And just to run through it real quick, you know, we, we shut down, didn't know what to do. People couldn't work. We, shifted everything to canning only reopened with canning all the draft that was just sitting in tanks and we opened just a few weeks later and retail for the next two months which was i think end of or mid-march to mid-april and mid-april to mid-may literally kept up with if not exceeded our normal taproom sales so we were selling that much beer in package Um, and at the same time we realized the only thing that we could we can like lean on right now is wholesale we knew that the, t- the tap room was doing well with the cans, but we knew that wasn't going to last because we knew that things were going to reopen soon. So we started focusing on pushing that those core brands and expanding 
to more liquor stores because those were getting hit hard. All the liquor store friends we had are like, we can't keep anything in stock. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, so we pivoted that direction. Then we opened our beer garden in the summer and ran that like champs. Absolutely crushed that. It was so hard. It was so difficult. Babysitting adults, learning different guidelines every week. They changed it and dealing with food. Then we started a taco company because we got tired of dealing. Yeah, we got tired of dealing with the food thing. So we started a taco company and then started bringing in huge acts to the beer garden and started doing like sit down concerts. We had G love come in organically good trio from Boston. Then that shut down. We pivoted again, opened up in a 10,000 square foot mill, like doing a, um, a temporary indoor beer garden. That was great. Then that shut down. We took January off, focused on building out our kitchen to move this taco company into. And um, in the next few months, you're going to see us have a taqueria inside Medusa. We're going to have the beer, the beer garden, new and improved. We'll be opened again. We will. We'll hope we have another venture we're working on that we should be announcing soon. So we've nice. lots of pivoting, diversification. Awesome. Sounds sounds awesome, man. Yeah, the 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 food. I, I was not gonna lie, the food was good because now, obviously, with the guidelines, you gotta get something. Um, you gotta, you gotta. And we we're walking by. I was like, "What are we gonna get?" Like, you know, some breweries got some some solid food. Some of them are just, you know, they just they're doing it because they have to, which is totally fine. Yeah. We walked in and we the the t- the people next to us. I looked over. I'm like, those tacos look pretty good. I'm like, let's let's yeah. let's try those tacos. And we got them. They were phenomenal. So excited, awesome. excited to have the taqueria open yeah taco gato taco gato (laughs) love it taco taco cats laser cats got all kinds of cats that's cool that's cool are you gonna be able to keep the the beer garden post covid or is that just like uh what they allowed you to do like during covid oh we had it the summer before and then last year i mean we we've been planning to put a massive production facility on that land but we've had to put that on pause we put it on pause for one year for financing and construction costs going up. And then we put it on pause for COVID. And now we're kind of like, we need things to really settle down before we do something that could, you know, that, that is the largest thing we've ever done in our yeah. lives. Yeah. So it's on pause and we're going to actually this year build up the beer garden a little bit more semi-permanently to just have a better feel, better flow to it, nice. to accommodate, accommodate people a little bit better. And we're hope we're actually working on it now. So it should be, you know, we're aiming to open it within the next couple of weeks. Um, oh, it was it was a hit last year, and I think this summer is going to be you know the roaring twenties. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. everybody's going to be outside. People are going to be vaccinated, and it, we'll still have restrictions in place, in my belief. But yeah. I think last year there was a massive uncertainty about even outdoor dining at first. Like, do we go to this place? Do we not? Yeah, you know, last year it was constantly just dealing with well, why do we have to do this? We didn't do this at the brewery down the street, or we didn't do this at the restaurant next door. And it's like, well. We're just following the rules and yeah. that's, you know, it's just constantly that, but I think this year will be a lot easier. No, I agree. I agree. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. You know, this may sound like an odd question, but being a business owner, entrepreneur, starting your own business outside of physically or mentally being incapable of working, do you ever picture yourself hundred percent retiring, you know, when Medusa gets to a, a certain point or are you always going to have your, your foot in there in some way? It's uh, it's definitely a trap. Yeah. Once you get in, I have had this conversation with other business owners and it's just, once you get in, everything changes. Like, at least for me, like it, not like there's no more routine. There's no more like, like set salary, Mm -hmm. scheduled bonus, 
401k. Like there's no regular savings. There's no regular income. Everything is based on what you do, how you're planning. And I've never been a huge like planner, but I've had to become one. I'm a dreamer. Yeah. So I have these good ideas. And when I think about retirement, I think about how many things I need to have in place to support that number that's in my head or that yeah. lifestyle that's in my head. And, sure. you know, it's certainly not extravagant, but obtaining a normal, you know, if I kept my other job and kept building up my retirement that way, I, that's how I, that's how I try to align myself now. And it's so much more work. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly, it's an incredibly big lift. And a lot of people think getting into business can lead to, um, you know, wealth, but it's, it, it's, it's, it, if you're cons like first, I think I'm speaking more from the brewery thing, which yeah, it, 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 it's such like a capitalist industry where you, you have to keep growing to survive. And I don't mean growing bigger volume wise, but it's just an industry that's constantly being pinched by, by numbers, by how many breweries there are. So you have to diversify and you have to grow your brand in terms of, you know, value add and locations. Yeah. And you have, it's just, it's, it's tough, man. Yeah. And that's what I mean by it's a trap. Like you just, and even if I get out of the brewing thing, I want to do something else. Cause I know all the ins and outs I've been through this the school if you will and so outside of outside of medusa like what are some of the couple things that you enjoy doing when you're actually when you're not working maybe the one day a week recently my i mean i love i love playing guitar i used to be in band so i love playing guitar um, i love hanging out with my kids and my wife i love sitting around a fire i love driving our jeep out on nasset beach if we get a chance to do that yeah if i get time to get away real like the things I like now compared to what I liked before are so simple and so yeah. like caveman. I love cooking like a yeah. steak yeah. and eating it. <laughs> it's just, I don't need a lot now. I just, it's so go, go, go crazy. Just decide, decide, decide that I just make like not making decisions and just sitting back is so nice. I've also enjoyed like working on our house a little bit, getting things done. Just such boring, simple things, man. <laughs> I, I think, but I think, how old are you, Keith? I'm 36. Yeah, like I'm 37. Like I think you get to that point in your life. Like yep. yeah, my 20s, like, yeah, it was great. It was fun. Like I got to this point, like I'm this, like I'm a business owner. I am always go, go, go. And I, I give myself a hard stop at 6 p.m. Uh, I mean, I'm up at 4 a.m. in the morning though, right? It's so, like our industries are a little different, but and it's just, it's a hard stop at 6. Take the dog for a walk. Wife and I would go for a walk around the neighborhood, cook dinner and just relax a little bit. And then on the weekends, you know, we don't have any kids right now. So on the weekends, like it's just the two of us and we can kind of do what we want. And we just keep things as simple as possible. Like last weekend, it was so nice that we just yep. went for a walk, just went for like, I don't know, like an hour walk. And it was just like so simple to do. Uh, but I'm a big steak on the grill guy too. So I love cooking. Yeah. Always. I'm I think having... the older you get, the wiser you get. So you don't need as many stimulations. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, know? you know, like you, you know, the handful of things that's important to you and that's what you divest your time in because that's really all you have time for anyways especially when you're running a business you know so mm -hmm. i can totally i can totally relate so last last couple of questions that i've asked every guest on boss's best this if you could tell your 18 year old self one thing what would you tell them i would tell my 18 year old self don't go to college yet there you go why do you say yeah. that wasn't ready for it and didn't use it i learned how to pay rent and how to get jobs to pay that rent living in mission hill Mission paying a Boston, yeah. yeah, paying a Boston rent, Cherokee Street. Yeah, I would have um, spent a bunch of money to go to college. I just didn't use it. Yeah, I don't use it at all. 
Same. And I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm like, I think people need to, you know, if you don't know what you want to do, you don't have to, you don't have to go the course and, and have that guidance counselor literally shove you into a school to get yeah. the high school's numbers up for a college acceptance. Yeah. I mean, I used, I, I did, yes, I wound, I was interested in computers. So I went to school for that type of thing, but enough, not a single thing I learned there I used in the computer industry when I worked in tech. And the degree never, I, the degree never came up. Yeah. No, no, it, it so, doesn't as much, you know, these days anymore. Yeah. I totally get it. Like, any, or, how, like you, you don't know what you're going to do when you're 18 years old. Not, not many people will know what they want to do the rest of their lives when they're 18. I do wonder, had I gone for, you know, a bachelor in business, if things would have been different. But I, there was zero interest. I had no idea this was going to happen. Yeah. You're 18. Probably you're a teenager. Go- like, you know, like you have so many things that you don't know what you want to do. Not many people do at that point. So, totally. yeah, I, yeah, I think that's go to work. Yeah. Yeah. Figure yeah. out what you want to do that way. And then, and then get, you know, the training for it, the learning and all that. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Have your company pay for you to go to school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's um, all going to be online now. Anyways, they all realize they don't need all that real estate. <laughs> yeah. I know. Seriously. I know this, this whole COVID thing, I'm very intrigued to see how it's going to shift the landscape of college going forward. Like our kids, by the time they get to college, it's going to be completely different. I would imagine than when we were. I don't even know how to think about that. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> we won't get into it. We won't get into it. But so last question, uh, everyone has a varying depiction of what success looks like to them. So how do you define success? Oh, to me, um, I've already got it. I just don't know how to get there yet. My like, and this is probably an issue that I have that I have to work out, but uh, like, I, I can't, I can't feel success. I'm always like, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. And I know that's an issue. I'm always trying to just get to that point where I just want to be able to relax a little bit more. Yeah. It doesn't have to be extravagant. I just, to me, success is I'm healthy. The people around me are healthy and I have good relationships with both professionally, personally, and I have time to myself. Yeah. And when you own a business, that's really hard to get to that. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was trying to explain earlier. And it, maybe it's very similar to me or I'm very unique to me and being, you know, in the brewing industry, but yeah. it's a grind. And to me, it's success will be obtained when that grind is dissolved a little bit. And I'm working on that. I can see how to get there. You know, I think just health, healthy, health and wellness, I think really yeah. is, you know, being able to, you know, be with your family, work out, eat well, enjoy what you've created. And it doesn't have to be a business. Yeah, no, you know I, I think that's a great answer. I think it kind of relates to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, like just enjoying the simple things. Like, and I think COVID, if anything, highlighted too, that, you realize what's really important to you. Like there's really just a handful of things that are actually important to you. Like that, you know, I was, I was working in and out of the city a little over a year ago at this point. And now it's like, it was nice just walking around my neighborhood. I met neighbors that I've never met before because I was go, go, go. I was gone at four 30 in the morning. I get home at like six 30, seven o'clock at night. And by the time yeah, you junk. So now like, now like, yeah, like success, I, there's a health, you know, wellness, like get the workout in. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So I think it's a good answer. Yeah. Um, Success is happiness. And I think all that stuff kind of gets you there. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Keith, this was awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on uh, for Medusa. It was, it was a blast having you on. And if you haven't, if people haven't listening, haven't been there yet, check it out. They got a great group of uh, great list of beers. Great, great. I was going to say food and tacos. I almost said tacos. Uh, Great tacos. (laughs) Great tacos, great food. And uh, be sure to check it out. So thanks again, man. I appreciate it. 
thank you, Mark. Thanks for stopping by uh, and uh, we'll see you soon. Hey everyone, I just wanted to say thank you for checking out my podcast. I really do appreciate the love I've received for this show. I believe now more than ever, any exposure to local businesses is great for them to receive and I'm trying to do my part. If you are a local business owner or someone you know in the Boston area that would like to be featured on the podcast, please email me at bostonsbestpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow this podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Instagram with the handle at Boston's Best underscore podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com backslash Boston's Best podcast. Again, I truly appreciate the great feedback for this show and stay tuned for each new episode every Friday at 8 a.m. Take care.